Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. <clears throat> if you're anything like me, there are mornings, on, there are Sunday mornings where you just, you're laying in bed or you're doing something else and, and uh, you don't really feel like you need to be here. And then you come and you're really glad you came. And that song, Christ Be Magnified, that we sang actually was kind of that reminder for me this morning that uh, I need that reminder to magnify Christ. Uh, if I don't have that reminder from you all, as you're singing that to me and I'm singing that to you and we're singing that together, uh, that I need to magnify Christ in my home when, when I'm parenting my kids. I need to be magnifying Christ in my marriage, in my work, throughout the week. But without being here, without gathering with the saints, Hebrews tells us to not neglect the gathering. And so the, the, the driver behind that passage is the idea that we forget. We're forgetful people and so we need this time. So... Thank you for reminding me that I need to magnify Christ, um, and I hope it's important for you to do the same. We're going to do something a little bit different. Has anybody, uh, raise your hand if you've been here when we've done the Lord's Prayer with the gestures. Yeah, just a handful. It's been a couple of years, um, and so we're going to do that this morning for our prayers of the people. Uh, there's, there's, there's value in uh, using, so actually, I'll just read a passage that's actually really poignant to this, Psalm 134. It says this. It says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And so um, when you read the scriptures, you see over and over again that there's this, um, there's this, this call to, to use your hands and to lift up um, your arms at times and to use your body as an act of worship. And so Psalm 134 gives us that direction. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And so even as we pray the Lord's Prayer together in Matthew 6 together, uh, we can use gestures. So I'm going to invite Lucy to come up, and um, we're going to teach you all how to do this first, and, uh, and then we're going to stand, and we're going we're to say the Lord's Prayer together with, with gestures. And so it's going to be on the screen here. Yeah, you're just going just, you're, you're to copy me, okay? So pray then like this. And so, Luce, you're just going to go, Our Father in heaven, and then you're going to go, Hallowed be your name, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next slide. Your kingdom come, okay, one hand here. Your will be done, okay, and then on earth as it is in heaven, okay? Give us this day our daily bread, and so almost bring the bread to your face and smell the goodness of the bread. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, okay, here, hold your forehead, as we also forgive our debtors. And so this was actually a practice in the ancient Near East where you would actually extend forgiveness with your hand to the person who, who sinned against you. And so as we also have forgiven our debtors, I know it's weird, so just, just do it to everybody, right? Just as we forgive our debtors, right? And lead us not into temptation, okay? Right here, temptation, but deliver us from evil, okay? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Got it? It's all up here? Okay, good. All right, let's stand together and do it as a church. And this will be something that you can do with your family as well throughout the week. All right, church, you ready? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise God. Awesome. Good work, guys. Thank you for that. Thanks, Luce. Our kids can actually head off to... There we go. Our kids can go. I don't know where that came from. We're going to continue our series on the heart of Christ. If uh, you didn't get your pack of little hearts on the way in as well, kind of goes with the series and Valentine's Day, and they were on sale at Walgreens, and so... Those are for you to enjoy or not. I don't know if you enjoy those or if anybody ever has, but they're, they're fun little candies. So, yeah, Sam, you got yours. <clears throat> um, we're going to be continuing our series again, as I just said, uh, on the heart of Christ. And this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the heart of Christ as a happy heart. The heart of Christ as a happy heart. And so let me pray for us as we get into it. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, as we do each week, that it would be helpful and that it would be uh, good for us to have been in it. The only way that's going to take place is that if your Holy Spirit applies it and illuminates the text and makes it real to us so we can leave here changed and we can also just leave here more in awe of your heart, uh, the heart of Christ. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. I remember a friendship I had with a guy at my previous church who, um, actually, I'm just going to give you the first point. Let's do that first. The first point is this, that we want to be happy. We want to be happy. There was a friendship I had with um, a man at our previous church, and and we would occasionally grab lunch. Uh, Nothing formal. We would just talk about uh, our families and jobs, and we would dream a bit. Um, His name was Brad. And um, if I have ideas now, those of you who know me, I had, I had more ideas back then. Always dreaming about new ministry ideas or business concepts. And one of the reasons that I said yes to lunch with, with Brad every time there was an opportunity to, to eat with him uh, was that I would um, um, leave his presence um, happier because he was one of the happiest people that I knew. He was just a very happy person. Um, like even if my ideas were not great, um, he'd listen and give some redirection, but his happiness is what came through the most. His joy, his happiness. Very smiley too. Many of you all fall into the same category uh, for me. I love being with you because you make my heart happy. My family most certainly makes my heart happy. I want to be around my family because their happy hearts make my heart happy as well. I would assume each of you have a list of, of happy people in your own life that you just anticipate spending time with. Maybe it's a grandparent or a childhood friend or someone here at church. While happiness isn't always associated with laughter, um, at times it is. Actually, often it is. In uh, the Psalms and the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and, and more, they all reference laughter, actually, as a result of a happy heart. In Job 8, Job had lost everything. 
And his friend Bildad comes along to, to firstly check uh, Job's attitude um, towards God, uh, which he does. Uh, but then at the end of, cha- of chapter 8, he's, uh, he says, A day is coming when the Lord will fill your mouth with laughter. A day is coming, Job, when the Lord will fill your mouth with laughter. After Job had lost everything. We surround ourselves with people that we know will contribute to our good and to our happiness. Even those that bring us to smile or laugh a bit, we enjoy being in their presence. I could give examples of the opposite as well. The ones that maybe you avoid is they often do the opposite, making you leave their presence feeling empty or discouraged. The person who always has an agenda or always takes issue with you, the critical, the negative, maybe you tend to avoid those people. Now, this is not like a positive vibes sermon, This is not negating the reality that not all of life is happy. We're all well aware of that, that tough conversations are inevitable in life and that sin and sadness exist. We're all well aware of this. You don't need to to tell someone this. We feel it. It is, however, though, an admittance that when given the option, when given the choice, one would most certainly choose happy and joyful over unhappy and sad. Would you agree? We are attracted to happy hearts. And so let me lead with this question just to kind of put it out there and then we're going to move through this together as it's the goal of the entirety of the sermon. Do you, it's a question, do you know the happy heart of Christ? Do you know, have you encountered the happy heart of Christ? Is the happiness of Christ ever something you've even considered? Does spending time in the presence of his happiness satisfy you? Refresh you? Does it fill you up so when you think about whether you have time for him tomorrow and the next day and the next day you go, I must because his happy heart makes my heart happy. If yes, then you're in good company because as this first point states, we want to be happy. And so where does this desire come from? Secondly, it comes from God. The desire to be happy is God-given. It's God-given. A few scriptures that come to mind, Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. He goes on actually to say also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, all of his work. Take pleasure in your toil and your work. This is God's gift to man. Philippians 4.4, rejoice or be happy in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, be happy. Be happy in the Lord always. Again, I will say be happy. It's Philippians 4.4. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, if anyone is happy, let him sing praise. There's a pastor that significantly shaped an entire generation of gospel-centered preachers named John Piper. John began preaching, he's still living today, John began preaching at Bethlehem Baptist Church in 1980 in in the Twin Cities, and he finished his his 33-year ministry, his tenure there in 2013. 
Um, during that time, he founded uh, Desiring God Ministries. It's a prolific resource just for the public to enjoy. It's all free. Um, you can still go there today, and the, the content is, is, is endless. Um, there are sermons, articles, poems, conference lectures, and some of the richest Bible teaching in modern history that you can find there. John is a, is a preacher who preaches with a smile half the time because he is so happy in God. If you've seen a John Piper sermon, he just kind of has this giddy smile about him. He's a quirky little guy, but he's so happy in God. In 1986, uh, John wrote a book called Desiring God, and in it he coined the phrase Christian hedonism. Um, and his definition for Christian hedonism is this. Um, and this is like once you, once you learn this phrase, you'll hopefully just keep it in your brain, keep it in your head. That God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He tells the story, actually, of a young girl who thought he was, when he first introduced this concept, thought he was saying Christian heathenism, um, which, even when understood as hedonism, um, required full explanation as this, this idea, this concept, without explanation, could sort of kind of be labeled as kind of a heathen or you know, like um, heretical thought without proper understanding. But the logic goes like this. He would write this. The desire to be happy is God-given and should not be denied, but directed to God for satisfaction. So Christian hedonism is finding your happiness in God, and when you do, he is most honored and glorified. Key phrase there, directed to God for satisfaction. So you find it. You can look elsewhere, but you'll find it there. But we know this is not always the case with us, is it? This is not the norm. This is not the typical path that we choose on a day-to-day -day basis. We often don't choose happiness in God. We admit that. We confess that. We choose to seek and find happiness in circumstance. And that which we don't have, we believe if we just have it, we will be happy. Correct? How many times, how many items, how many relationships, how many events and experiences, have you thought, when that happens, I will be happy? And it brought about temporal happiness, but it didn't sustain, it didn't last. Just think about when you were a child, the things that made you most happy now, you would look at and wonder, like, how in the world were you laughing and smiling for hours upon hours, just swinging at a swing in a park? Like, if you find me today at Tillis for hours, just like pushing Logan, and we're just giggling, there's something kind of beautiful about that, but also really strange. I don't know if there's anything beautiful about that at all, but, but for kids, it is. It's beautiful. There's just such joy and happiness found in that. Why? Because that sort of happiness ran out for all of us, for most of us. It ran out. And then it's stuff, and then, it's, and then the stuff runs out, and then it's relationships and money, and, and then those things can only bring so much joy and happiness, but they can't consistently sustain us. Like, we all know that's true. In his sermon on the happiness of God by Piper, he references how in 1981, uh, Daniel 
Yankelevich published a book entitled New Rules, Searching for Self-Fulfillment in a World Turned Upside Down. Remember, this is 1981 that this book was written. He argues that the widespread search for personal self-fulfillment has created a new set of rules that govern the way we think and feel as Americans. He says this, in place of the old self-denial ethic, we find people who refuse to deny anything to themselves. Not out of bottomless appetites, but on the moral principle that I have a duty to myself. He tells of a young woman in her mid-30s who complained to her, her therapist that she was becoming nervous and fretful because life had grown so hectic. Uh, too many big weekends, too many discos, too many late hours, too much talk, too much wine, too much pot, too much lovemaking, and the therapist responds with, why don't you just stop? The patient stared blankly for a moment and then her face lit up, dazzled by an illumination. You mean I really don't have to do what I want to do? She bursts out in amazement. He concludes by saying that the trademark of the new self-fulfillment seeker is that they operate on the premise that emotional cravings are sacred objects and that it is a crime against nature to harbor an unfulfilled emotional need. In over 35 years since that was written, not much has changed, has it? We are happiness seekers, and we continue to base our pursuit of it off of temporal promises. And we can conclude then, that the pursuit of happiness isn't bad or wrong or something we should deny like the ascetic would. The ascetic is one who denies happiness and denies pleasure. We, we know that's not true because as we first stated, um, our desire to be happy is God-given. And so then if it's true that God has given us a desire to be happy and if it's true according to Genesis 1.27 that you were created in God's image, then it must mean that God himself is very happy. And so then what about Christ? Is Christ happy? And the answer to that is yes. We have a Christ, point number three, who is infinitely happy and longs for us to be infinitely happy. In Luke 4.17, Jesus, he, unro he, un he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 61, after which he says, he says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, in Luke 4.21. Now track with this. Isaiah 61 continues with its prophecy about Jesus. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. The, uh, uh, there are different translations of the Bible, if you didn't know that, and you can look them all up. And the New Century Version renders the verse, the Lord makes me very happy. All that I am rejoices in my God. The Lord makes me very happy. In Luke 10, Jesus told the 72 disciples that he sent out on missionary journeys to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The CEV renders this verse, be happy that your names are written in heaven. The next verse connects his disciples' joy to Jesus' joy. It says this in Luke 10, 21, in that same hour, he, he being Jesus, rejoiced or was happy in the Holy Spirit. 
The writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 12, 1 and 2, these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now watch this. Who, for the joy, for the happiness that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated today at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what we see here. We see the uniqueness and the divine nature of Christ. And here's how this works. Christ can at the same time hold both grief and sorrow for the sin of the world and profoundly deep and sustained happiness in the fact that he has secured once and for all a solution for all of that grief, for all that sorrow, and for all that sin. He is eternally happy with the cross that he bore that carries all of that pain, and he gladly took all of that pain upon himself so not one single man, woman, or child would ever have to. That's what he's happy about. He is infinitely happy for that reason. Now, just as he was not happy in the Garden of Gethsemane as he grieved the cross that was to come, or the knowledge that his closest friends had betrayed him, he is not happy with your loss. He is not happy that, but he, I'm sorry, but he is happy that he can empathize and comfort you in your loss. He is not happy when you are sick, but he is happy to be your healer. He is not happy with your depression, but he is happy to be your good shepherd as you are in it. He is not happy with the miscarriage you had, but he is happy that he now has your child in his presence. He is not happy with death, but he is happy that in that through his death and resurrection, he can offer you eternal life. He is infinitely happy in the knowledge that he is the very answer to every ounce of pain, loss, sadness, and death in the world. Which leads to our last observation on the happy heart of Christ. Christ is happy when our hearts are happy in him. That's when he is most happy. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. I reference books often, and sometimes I encourage you to pick it up, and this would be one of those books. Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. He writes these words, We tend to think when we approach Jesus for help in our need and mercy amid our sins, we somehow detract from him, lessen him, impoverish him. In Thomas Goodwin's The Heart of Christ, he argues otherwise. Jesus surprises us in exercising acts of grace and from his continual doing good unto and for his members, from his filling them with all mercy, grace, comfort, and felicity, himself becoming yet more full by filling them. Yes, it is true. As truly God, Christ cannot become any fuller. He shares his Father's immortal, eternal, and unchangeable fullness. Yet as truly man, <clears throat> Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. His heart is filled up <clears throat> all the more by our coming to him. While we hold back 
lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. He concludes with his joy and ours rises together. He lives for this. This is what his heart is for. It is most happy when we come to him. Is that how you view Christ? As one whom, when you come to him with all your stuff, he is most glorified. He is most at home in your broken presence because he broke for that very reason. His heart is most happy in your broken presence. Who else can be that for you? Parents, you might think that you live for your kids bringing all their stuff to you. You're like, oh yeah, just bring it. Son, call anytime. Daughter, I'm here for you always. And you mean it, you do. It is well-intentioned and it is your duty. But when they do, you are still grieved. Are you not? Why are you so grieved? Because you don't have the answer. You don't have the solution. You don't have the power to do anything about it. You don't. You can do your best. You can be present and provide for and sit with and cry with and bail out as needed, but you can't live for them to come to you with all their stuff. What a burden. And that's just for a couple little humans, not for all of humanity. Christ, on the other hand, can happily say, I live for this. I live for this. So it makes me most happy. My kids come to me. For every man, woman, and child who would come, because he not only has the tools to repair it, but he has the resurrected life to revive it, to breathe eternity into it, into you. And when your desperate soul comes to him, he is happy, his joy is full. Why? Because he lives for this. For the Christian, then, we believe the only thing that has the ability to hold the weight of our happiness expectations is the fact that for the joy set before him, Jesus secured our happiness forever. The heart of Christ is eternally happy because of what he secured for you that will go on into eternity. And here's the great news. A day awaits us when we will enter into, you will enter into, unavoidably, you will enter into the fullness of complete and total happiness in his kingdom. We'll be back to the garden, walking with God and the saints. No more tears or pain, just happy in the comfort and the company of an, of an infinitely happy Christ. That's the message of Christian hedonism. That the heart of Christ is most happy when we are happy in him. And I would just pray that would be true, true of you and true for you and for me. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may we see your heart this way. May we see your heart as one that is not utterly disappointed 
angry, disgusted with us, but rather that you are most happy and glorified when we, your kids, are most happy and satisfied in you. I pray that each person here this morning would see you this way and in turn learn to delight in you all the more. We pray all this in the happy heart of Christ. Amen, amen, and amen.